It's close to midnight and something evil's lurking from the dark. Oh, it's uh, Sean Sparling. He's uh, getting ready to deliver his agronomy in a short while. But uh, in this week of all weeks, we're talking pumpkins on the programme. But why does it involve a countdown and a cannon? Three, two, one, push! The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Yes, much more on Halloween and pumpkins a little later. First, the Chancellor is preparing to deliver his final budget before Brexit. What will Philip Hammond have to say for agriculture, though? George Dunn is on the line from the Tenant Farmers Association. Thank you for joining us on the programme, George. Um, Sean. Obviously, we have the budget. What are you hoping to hear from the Chancellor? Well, we've been asking for a long time now for changes to the taxation environment within which landlords make decisions about letting land. One of our major concerns is that if you look at the newer style farm business tenancies, which have been around since 1995, the average length of term on those tenancies is only four years. And 85% of all farm tenancies are now five years or less. And that's really no time for farm businesses to develop resilience and sustainability or to contribute to environmental outcomes. So we're asking the Chancellor to look at agricultural property relief, which landlords get. And landlords get that regardless of however long they're letting land. We're suggesting that the the Chancellor should limit that relief to those individuals who are letting for 10 years or more, which means that we should see an increase in the amount of longer tenancies in the marketplace, which will help both uh, for business and for environmental outcomes. Uh, So that's one major change we're looking for. We're also looking for changes to stamp duty land tax. Now, that's a a tax which you have to pay when you are a tenant of a property. Um, It goes up the longer you have a tenancy and the higher the rent you pay on that tenancy. So it works against longer tenancies, again, because the the longer the tenancy, the higher the level of tax. It works within an urban environment where the Chancellor has been trying to stop uh, tax avoidance with people rather than purchasing properties, leasing properties. But the government's policy is to encourage longer-term tenancies within the farming sector, and here's a tax which is working against that. So we're looking for changes which will improve the environment for longer-term tenancies. Going back to the, uh, the 95 Act, I mean, when it came in, there was a real hope of opportunity there, wasn't there, for new entrants into farming for those farmers who are progressing. But it just hasn't paid off, has it? It hasn't worked. No, I mean, the, the, the two objectives, as you rightly say, were was one, to provide an opportunity for new entrants uh, by expanding the area of lead land, and two, to provide more efficient farming operations. And on the former objective, the first objective, whilst there was an increase in the area of lead land in the early years of the, uh, the new legislation, that's really petered away. And we are now in a, in a state of what you might call stasis, where the area of, of lead land has remained largely the same for about the past 10 or 15 years. Um, and on the progressive, uh, more efficient business point, if we're seeing a plethora of short-term agreements where people can't do investment, where people can't look for the long term, then that's not really improving efficiency either. So for the two principal reasons why we have this legislation, uh, it's, uh, it's not doing very well. Of course, we have the Agriculture Bill going to the committee stage uh, in the next few weeks. 
uh, from the Tenant Farmers Association, what are you hoping might come out of that stage of the Agriculture Bill? I mean, what do you make of the Agriculture Bill overall? Well, I think we were very pleased with large aspects of the Agriculture Bill, the, the stuff on supply chains, the stuff on the marketing standards, the productivity elements of the Agriculture Bill. We are somewhat concerned that it has lots of powers but very few duties on the Secretary of State. I think it's only got three specific duties on the Secretary of State. But a massive disappointment for us within the Tenant Farmers Association was the lack of any recognition within that le- uh, draft legislation for the need for changes to agricultural tenancy legislation. We had the Tenancy Reform Industry Group, which is a cross-organizational group involving the CLA, the NFU, the TFA, and the professional organizations, which reported to DEFRA last October with recommendations for legislative change, which we were fully expecting to see within the Agricultural Bill when it was published on the 12th of September. But there was absolutely nothing within the bill for agricultural tenants. So we have already uh, given evidence to the bill committee and to the EFRA Select Committee, which is also scrutinizing the bill, suggesting that there should be a new part to the bill to bring forward changes to tenancy legislation. And we have put down our own amendments, which we're hoping will be picked up uh, either a committee or report stage of the bill as it goes through. So, yes, yeah, some, some really good parts to the bill, but also some major disappointments. Is it a case they're not listening? You know, we've had similar arguments with the, the health and harmony consultation earlier in the year, and then when the bill comes out, it seems... I don't know. Are they, are they just not listening? Are they, are politicians have their own agendas, I guess. But it, it seems that certain elements are, are getting more priority, those who maybe shout loudest. I, I think there is an element in which we are seeing that the government is listening. We weren't expecting, for example, to see the extensive powers that the minister is reserving to himself in relation to the, to the supply chain. We, we, we fought hard to get uh, those supply chain measures in there. You might recall that we had the consultation on the Groceries Code Adjudicator, which was an attempt to try and move the regulation of the food chain right down to the, to the, uh, to, to, to the farmer end of the supply chain. And we, we failed to convince the government that that was the right thing to do at that stage. But now we have a bill which seems to put those powers back in again um, into the public domain. So uh, we're really pleased to see that. But I think, I think we, we've got to realize here that there's a lot going on, and uh, the industry that we are working in is only part of the wider landscape within which Brexit is occurring. And I think the, the, the issue that I think that the government has is, is the, the physical management of getting legislation through Parliament. And you look at the number of statutory instruments that the government has to bring forward in order to be Brexit ready. There's a substantial amount of work for Parliament to do, and I just think the business managers are trying to do what's necessary and what's simply required rather than than, than the stuff that that pragmatically should be looked at to, to ensure that we are resilient and sustainable for the long term. Certainly is a busy time. Uh, lots to be doing. George, thank you for uh, joining us on the uh, programme today. That's a pleasure. Thanks very much. That's George Dunn, Chief Executive of the Tenant Farmers Association. You'll have noticed that the weather's turned, no longer warm or mild, much colder with that air blowing from the Arctic. It uh, does look like a cold blast is approaching us. Uh, Sean Sparling, are you all wrapped up warm? Yes, morning, Sean. Never ceases to raise a smile on my face when I hear people being all surprised about a northerly wind and frost at the end of October into November. Summer's gone. 
Winter is coming, as they say in Game of Thrones, and all we can ever do in this industry is react to the circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, I know the Daily Mail and the Met Office are, are saying it again this year. It's going to be a dreadful winter, the worst for 100 years. They say it every single year. When they're right, they tell us they told us so. When they're wrong, it's never mentioned again. And when you hear regional weather forecasters struggling to tell us what the weather did yesterday, let alone today or tomorrow, you realise in our industry, we deal and react to what we see in the field. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, swallowed a fly. That's topical. I'll come on to that. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, when we get a frost on a cereal crop, it takes the wax off the leaf. So the worst thing you can then do is go and apply a trace element or a, a, an insecticide, a herbicide, because all of those products contain wetters, extenders, stickers, surfactants, adjuvants within their makeup. And they're all active on the leaf surface for obvious reasons to get these things into the plant. And if you've got no wax on the leaf because of a frost, that's going to cause crop scorch. So the best thing to do on any cereal crop that's just getting the first frost of the season once it's up is leave it at least one night clear of that frost before you go and spray. And what I mean by that is if it freezes on Monday night and freezes on Tuesday night, but there's no frost on Wednesday night, you could spray it on the Thursday, happy in the knowledge that the wax layer will have built sufficiently to prevent that scorch. Thereafter, once that's gone through that sort of first frost phase, if there's a frost forecast, just stop spraying by about three in the afternoon to give the crop a, a chance to recover before that frost hits and you should be absolutely fine. Now, the reason I said it was topical that I've just swallowed a fly <clears throat> is as I'm walking fields this week, I'm seeing quite a lot of opomizer. I'm seeing so yellow cereal fly. I'm seeing frit fly out in these fields. They may need dealing with. Similarly, I'm finding grain aphid, rose grain aphid, bird cherry oat aphid. So if you haven't dressed with the deter, the risk from BYDV vectors transmitting it into your crop is there. However, just employ integrated pest management protocols here because when you see a foggy morning and these fields are covered one side to the other with cobwebs, the spiders probably outnumber the aphids 100 to 1. So they're eating something, they're eating those aphids. So IPM is all about letting the beneficials and the predators do their job and we only step in to help them if they're struggling. So at the moment, I'm not panicking too much about these things. Um, now, herbicides, the pre-emergent stack that you've put on will work. Just trust them. If you've already applied them and there's black grass coming through them, we're going to get some rain in the next two or three days. That'll reactivate them. And bear in mind that if you've got a residual down in good time, a good robust residual, and the black grass is germinating within that residual band, it'll do its job. You've got to trust it. No point spending double that and chucking it on again and saying, well, that'll do a better job on the emerged black grass, because a lot of these products are active on the roots. Once the roots are growing away, you're not going to do them anyway. So trust what you've done and allow them to do their job. There is black grass coming up in some of these fields, but we got half a mil of rain Thursday into Friday, and you could already see by Friday morning, nine o'clock, that some of the black grass that was through was starting to keel over because that herbicide layer had been reactivated. So don't panic about it. Now, moving on to oilseed rate, it does complicate things a little bit. People get one frost and they think, well, that's it, let's go and get the propizomide on. It is way too warm to put propizomide on. Soil temperatures at 10 uh, centimetres are higher than 13 degrees. That's way, way too warm. It's got to be eight degrees and falling when you get down to that sort of depth. And the net result of that is if you put propizomide on, 
it will still work, but you lose maybe 15, 20% of its efficacy. And if the reason you're putting propizomide on is for blackgrass, why would you compromise it like that just for the sake of going a couple of weeks early? Now, some people are telling me they're tying it in with a fungicide application, but I'm not seeing any light leaf spot foam or alternaria downy mildew out there to warrant spraying. Some people are putting fungicides on for growth regulator reasons. But again, I'm just happy to leave those crops and let the winter do that for me because you'll get far more out of a growth regulator on oilseed rape at stem extension in the spring than you ever will in the autumn. If you get light leaf spot in a couple of weeks, then by all means, I think my idea would be to put a fungicide on like tebuconazole, cheap and cheerful, or metconazole, for example, which has good activity on light leaf spot, but which will also give me a little bit of a growth regulatory effect. I don't think I can justify putting carrots on in the autumn because it's expensive stuff, and I'd rather keep that until the spring when I'm in true stem extension where I can shorten the internodes and boost the root growth. So it's horses for courses, everybody to their own, but for me, I'm waiting till I see disease before I put a fungicide on, not least to try and protect the soil fungi which are already there, all the beneficial fungi, which every time I put a fungicide on may get affected by what I'm doing. Aphids as well, high levels of aphids in some of these rape crops, but again, let the predators do it. Let the parasitic fungi deal with that problem for you. There are always aphids in oilseed rape crops, but the predator levels are very high because temperatures are quite benign and mild at the moment. So just monitor the situation rather than charge in with another expensive insecticide. Um, and apart from that, winter wheat drilling largely complete now. Um, now would be a good time on some of those worst black grass fields just let this weather pattern go through and then think about drilling them. And don't be over the top with your seed rates. Three, 300, 20, 325, 350 maximum, maximum, maximum this time of year. You don't want 450, 500 seeds. Every one of them will grow and you'll end up self-defeating. You'll get a poorer yield and a poorer crop as a result. We can always make a thin crop thicker. We're going to struggle to make a thick crop thinner. And apart from that, slug levels very, very low, but that may well change over the course of the next few days if we get that rain. So if anybody's going to the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network AGM on Monday evening at the Epic Centre, I'll see you there because I am emceeing it. A very, very worthy charity and one that we should all support. Indeed we should. Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Pumpkins galore in a moment. First, our weekly roundup of the grain markets and prices. Rebecca Pierce is on the phone from Open Field this week. Well, I'm sorry to say that normal service has resumed this week. I'm back on the radio and the wheat market has dropped off a cliff. London wheat futures have fallen considerably this week and are over £5 a ton weaker since they opened on Monday, thanks to a host of negative news adding downward pressure to our marketplace. The UK reacted on Monday to news that due to difficult market conditions, Crop Energies will pause production at its ethanol plant near Teesside from the end of next month until further notice. Needless to say, this has caused cash markets and prices at the farm gate to come under pressure, with prices for November wheat now near £10 a tonne lower versus where they opened on Monday. As London wheat futures continue to fall, so too have US markets, hitting near six-week lows this week. It's all still about Russia and whether or not they are still going to be exporting in 2019. The Russian Agricultural Ministry this week raised its forecast for the 2018 grain crop by near 3 million tonnes, up to 109 million tonnes, thanks to favourable weather for harvesting in Siberia. 
The latest crop number leaves them with a sizable export figure that is considerably higher than trade estimates. The world grain market remains entirely about politics. If Russia can continue exporting at the current pace, then the forward carry will no doubtably narrow and US markets will continue to stay under pressure. Despite the French securing some business to Algeria this week, as and when Argentina come to the marketplace, French wheat could well come under pressure too, which in turn will filter into London and our markets in the UK. And then there's the question mark over Australia. However, unlike the UK wheat market, the oilseed rate market this week remains relatively unchanged and ex-farm values have not fallen like other commodities. The main driver remains very much the ongoing US and China trade war dispute affecting the global soybean market. US soybean values have come under some pressure this week on below expectation soybean export numbers. However, French rapeseed futures essentially remain range-bound and certainly closer to home in my area in East Yorkshire, there has been little interest to sell at current levels as growers are making the most of the favourable weather and pushing on with autumn drilling, leaving prices at the farm gate relatively unchanged. Looking ahead to Harvest 2019 and some interesting comments this week from a European analyst regarding the state of next year's rapeseed crop, quoting that they have suffered from extreme dry conditions at planting, not only compromising the acreage sown, but also hampering emergence in areas that have already been sown. The monthly crop report went on to add that only a minority of areas are in good condition, and this is likely to be reflected in rapeseed production next year. Forecasters have indicated that the French rapeseed sowings are 5 to 10% lower, and over in Germany that their rapeseed area could well fall below 1 million hectares. Currently, oilseed rate values off combine for next harvest in our area are trading around £310 a tonne ex-farm as available. Let's look at prices now. And feed wheat for November is currently trading much lower than a week ago at around 160 to 165 pounds a ton, with a carry through until May next year, which is trading at 165 to 170 pounds a ton. Looking ahead to harvest 2019 wheat values, an as available feed wheat is now circa 150 pounds a ton, with November 19 trading at 155 pounds a ton ex farm. Premiums for full-spec Group 1 milling wheat remain around 8 to £10 a tonne over feed, dependent on area this season. Feed barley values continue to hold their own, although do still remain at a discount to wheat. Pre-Christmas, prices are now circa 155 to £160 a tonne. However, there is a strong forward carry into the spring, thanks to some recent export opportunities. New crop feed barley for next harvest continues to trade around 135 to 140 pounds a ton as available ex farm. For those looking at spring malting barley for next year, it is worth speaking to your local open field farm business manager for the latest buyback contracts and preferred varieties. Oilseed rate values continue to trade around £320 a tonne ex-farm for November in most areas with a pound per tonne forward carry with values for next harvest around £310 to £312 a tonne off combine as I've already mentioned. It is also worth adding that there still remains a good interest on samples of beans and peas of suitable quality so again get in touch with your local open field representative. 
And that's it from me. Have a lovely weekend. You too. Thank you, Rebecca Pierce at Open Field. It's the last weekend in October, so Halloween approaches, and no better time to meet the team who grow half a million pumpkins every year. Indeed, if you've got a pumpkin at home, it might well have come from Bells at Bellington. They have a pumpkin patch that's an attraction within itself, and given it was half-term, it was very busy on Thursday afternoon when I went along to meet up with Carl Presgrave. Yeah, so commercially we grow over half a million pumpkins. We're one of the UK's largest producers of pumpkins. So yeah, there's plenty to choose from here today. And what kind of year has it been for the pumpkins? Very hard. So our yields have been slightly down this year. We've had the yields, but just not the size. So the large ones have really struggled this year. And when do you start? Well, talk, talk us through the process of the year, if you like, of growing pumpkins. So basically, we start around now. So we're already getting into next year, you know, thinking about what we need to do in, in terms of varieties and bits and pieces. But then we come into May, and that's when we start sowing. So we're out in the fields, planting the seeds, and then basically growing them throughout the summer and then harvesting in September, ready for sales in October. And I guess with the long, hot summer that we've had, that was part of the problem, was it? That's why the size on some of them maybe aren't as good as they could be. Absolutely. So we've just lost the size this year, basically. Um, but the uh, public entries you'll see behind us here today, what's entered the competition, have done really well. We've managed to get some size on theirs. Yeah, yeah there is definitely some big ones. You need to get them to come and give you some tips. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so this is your third year of doing this, yeah? Yeah, so this is our third year, and year on year it's just growing, and the reviews and the um, sort of feedback we're getting is just fantastic. So that's what really spurs us on today. And what did you do before the pumpkins? So basically on our retail side here at Bells we've got various things going on, so we've got Christmas activities, we'd like to get the children involved in how to grow as well, so we've got projects with schools going on all the time, all throughout the year. And you say, you know, three years you've been doing the pumpkins, what was happening before then, what made you think, I know, pumpkins, there's an idea? Well commercially we've got quite a lot of land, so we're always looking for different crops to put through, so... Historically, we've grown cereal crops um, and the farming industry is always changing, so we're always looking for that next crop to put through. Good diversification, I guess, is it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so we're a very forward-thinking company, so we're always looking ahead. It still seems relatively new, the idea of celebrating Halloween in the way that we do in the UK, but it's been around for a few years now, but the idea of pumpkins, it still seems relatively new, it's, but it's certainly growing, isn't it, we're looking around us? Yeah, the growth is just massive. So you see it in America, but it's definitely mm. moving across here. 31st of October, when you're driving around, you'll see everyone's house is decorated up. It just looks fantastic. Now, talk us through the cannon. You've got this uh, pumptastic master blaster. Talk us through it. Obviously, this is radio. Describe it for us. So, this is our master blaster. I say it's huge. So, it's sat on a 40-foot Arctic trailer to give you some idea of how big it is. And basically, this is the UK largest pumpkin cannon. So, you can come, have a go, fire on your pumpkin. We've got a big target across there. So, that's several metres away. And we're aiming it at the target. It's a minimum of £5 donation, but all the proceeds do go to the NSPCC. So, it's really a uh, great charity as well. And where did the idea come from for the, for the cannon itself? Who decided, I know what we can do, we can fire it across a field? So this is one of Mr Bell's many ideas. <laughs> one, one Friday night came away with a uh, pumpkin cannon idea and our engineers set to work and uh, yeah, and then what you see before us now is our pumpkin cannon. Well, I think we're going to fire it in a moment, is that right? Is that what we're going to try and do? Yes, yeah, so our uh, managing director's daughter is going to uh, count us down from ten and give us a fire. Are we ready? We'll see if we can hear it. So we've got a cannon countdown going here. You'll hear it in the background. Three, two, one, push! Wow! That's some distance. Finally, a top tip for uh, carving a pumpkin for uh, anyone at home who's planning it for Halloween. Do you know how to do it? Various tips. One of the biggest tips we have is Vaseline to seal the cut. Try and keep it there ready for after Halloween.
Fantastic. There you go, a top tip. All right, Carl, thanks for chatting to us. Thank you, Sean. Carl Presgrave and his pumpkins, including that pumpkin cannon, want to be seen to be believed. Uh, If you're going out trick-or-treating later this week, you are going to need to wrap up warm. Here's the weather. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today, although we're seeing temperatures around 10 Celsius with some sunshine, it's feeling colder with that northerly wind, 10 to 20 miles an hour, that's gusting through the day. Some cloud to come, but clear skies again overnight, pushing temperatures down to around 3 early tomorrow. The wind, again, continuing from the north, 5 to 10 miles an hour. And then it's a sunny Monday, highs of 8, the wind from the north, northeast, again around 10 miles an hour. Clear skies overnight Monday into Tuesday, pushing temperatures down to 1. We will get a frost in more rural parts. The wind from the northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And there's some early rain for Tuesday. Temperatures at around 9 Celsius. And again, that wind continuing from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. That cloud cover overnight, although it should be dry Tuesday into Wednesday, will keep temperatures a little warmer, 5 generally the low. The wind more from the east-southeast at about 5 miles an hour. And for Halloween itself, it looks like it should be dry but cloudy. Highs of around 10 again, and the wind more from the south-southeast at about 10 miles an hour. Then the latter end of the week, it looks like a windy end to the week. Could be some heavy rain as well. The wind blowing more from the south, so that will push temperatures just up a little bit, maybe into the early teens, with overnight lows starting around 4 or 5. But come the end of the week, there could be around 10 Celsius. We'll uh, keep a check as the week continues. For now, though, that is uh, the forecast. Our last word this week goes to Lindsay Martin, chair of the National Federation of Young Farmers Clubs. As you might remember, last week on the programme, we discussed the meeting that was taking place in Warwickshire of the Federation and a vote of no confidence over its handling of the decision to cancel its AGM weekend in Blackpool. Well, that vote and two amendments were defeated with 83% voting in support of the board. Lindsay, in an email sent to members, quoted Life Vice President Paul Christiansen's words at the AGM earlier in the year. He told members, You have something really precious, young farmers. Nurture it, treasure it, grow it. You're holding it in your hands. Don't drop it, because it's immensely important, not only to you, but to future generations. Wise words. Until next week, take care.